Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Work Podcast. And today we've got a special treat. We have author Lori Polidoros with us today and you'll hear all about her. Lori, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here and I can't wait to talk about writing and all other cool stuff. Well, writing is the cool stuff, right? Yes, absolutely. It's everything. So then let's find out about that. Here we go. We always start off with asking an origin story. As in, how'd you get into this? Why'd you get into this sort of thing? Long or short version. Where did this all begin from? I gotta be a writer. I always come back to fourth grade. I had an amazing teacher who inspired me. And I was a super shy kid. And I had written a story about this cat who lost her family. And Mrs. Fielder said, you gotta enter this writing contest. And I was terrified. And I entered. The ball drops and I lose. But... I gained something a lot bigger. I realized after that contest that it didn't really matter who liked my stuff. It just mattered that I wanted to write stories and it was something that I knew I wanted to continue to do. So I I think it goes back to fourth grade and then I proceeded to get a degree in journalism and creative writing, become a teacher, and then realized shortly afterward that I had to keep writing. That was probably about 25 years ago that I decided that I really wanted to write for kids. So that's a long story short. So now we're going to ask a lot of follow-up questions. When you say that you realized in fourth grade, like it didn't matter about winning and yeah. you actually realized that as a fourth grader or looking back now, you realize that you realized that? It just didn't discourage me. I don't remember being oh. bummed out that I didn't win. I just okay. remember thinking, okay, I didn't win this, but I'm going to write another story and another story. And, and I had a really great best friend who's still one of my best friends today. And she was a very talented artist. So we had a whole plan that she would be the illustrator and I would be the author. So yeah, I just don't remember it ever discouraging me. And I was also into art as well. So I majored in art actually in college first. And then I realized that I wasn't always inspired and how would I do that as a job. And the underlying current was always writing. So I switched to broadcast journalism and then print journalism and then creative writing was always my minor. So I think it was just something that It's kind of like a magic carpet underneath my feet. It was always there, taking me to different places. And as discouraging as rejection can be, I guess it was never enough pain to stop me from wanting to tell stories. Okay, first of all, it's funny that you said that you weren't always inspired with art, so you moved to writing. Like, you Mm -hmm. also have to be inspired with writing if it's creative writing. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure why I started in journalism, other than maybe the practical part of me was like, oh, you can actually get a full-time job as a journalist as opposed to getting a full-time job as a novelist, which doesn't really happen unless you're extremely lucky. I really became interested in social justice and different movements that were happening in the 80s. And I think taking writing and mixing it with some of these issues that were really important to me, I realized that I could spread the word and I could educate people and, and make a difference. So that was probably the impetus. And then I love film. And I love photography. And so I think that's why I started in broadcast. But then I realized I didn't want to be in front of the camera. I wanted to be controlling the words. And so I switched to print. And it just really gave me a strong structure. And it really helped me understand the basics and how to cut and how to get to the point quickly. And then it just exposed me to so many different things around the world that I had no idea about. So it was kind of a mind-blowing experience. And then having that creative writing minor, I was able to get that imaginative, creative quality. So I think the mixture of those two as a study was probably super important to the way I write today. Oh, wow. Did you actually work as a journalist at any point? 
Only right. for a couple of small newspapers in Orange County, so never anything big. So this is how it went down. I couldn't get a job as a full-time writer. Funny, funny. So I just kept getting into more debt. And then I had a, a mom who kind of always knew what was right, but I didn't want to listen to her. And she kept telling me, you should be a teacher. You should be a teacher. And I'm like, no, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a writer. So she was right. And I started substitute teaching. And I was like, wow, I'm actually kind of good at this. And so I went back to school and got my credential. And that was kind of the path that I chose but it was something where I could still do art and I could still be immersed in the love of story and spread the love of story and teach writing. So I think it was kind of like a hand-in-hand path. The only negative about teaching is that you don't have a lot of time left to write. But other than that, like immersing yourself in the kid aura and just the experience of being with them. Like I'm with kids more than I'm with anyone else in my life. Like I'm in their world and I'm, I'm really nosy. So I'm always listening and just trying to like unconsciously, I think I'm absorbing so much of their world. I think it's been a real benefit. And the only downside, like I said, it's just time. I'm super busy as a teacher, so I don't have those hours to write, but I am writing without writing, if that makes sense. All of that is kind of working its way into my psyche and becoming characters and becoming situations. And I was an elementary teacher first, so I think it all started then. And shortly after that, I wrote my first picture book and I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. So I think the teaching part helped solidify my love for writing for kids. Good, that preempted the question of why kids. There you go, yeah. yeah. I had written a couple in college and my narrator was always like a middle grade age kid and I didn't really realize I was writing for kids and then I even wrote a script for uh, The Wonder Years which I chickened out and I never submitted but my voice was always like that 12 year old kid. I didn't really know I wanted to write for kids I think until I became an elementary teacher and then I had my son and then I kind of went part time as a teacher and then I was like okay this is what I want to do. One of the first writers I spoke to Jonathan Jans is a horror writer. He basically does either most of his writing or most of his books is like the summertime. That's what he uses Uh for writing time. Because he's also a teacher. And he teaches, I think also like English and creative writing sort of stuff. Uh So you still get to be connected to the world, even if you don't necessarily have as much time. Yes, absolutely. And you get to talk about books and see what they're excited about. We'll talk about the nonfiction book I had come out, but it was so exciting to be a part of my students' as that process unfolded, like they're my biggest fans. It was really nice to feel the love from them as well. It just made it a little more special even. So yeah, yeah it's it's really cool. It's, it's just an overwhelming job. But you know, a lot of us have overwhelming responsibilities other than writing. So that's just par for the course. Yeah. Do the kids, does it make them more excited? Do they get a little bit surprised when you are familiar with the books they're talking about or if you might know one of the authors that they like or something? Yes, they love hearing those stories. They think it makes you famous, and I'm, oh, I'm so far from being <laughs> famous. But yeah, they get super excited, because I used to interview a lot of authors, too, and when I tell them, oh, yeah, I interviewed so-and-so, it's just kind of a window into this world that's very mysterious to them. And I always take their pictures, like when they're reading my friend's books, or I take their pictures and send it to the writers that I know. It, like, demystifies something for them, and I think that's so important for kids is to give them the reality of life and the possibilities that are out there so I think it's like the perfect mix when I tell them I'm a writer it doesn't really click until they see an actual book in my hand or they go online and they're like wait you wrote that and I was like yeah that's the book I was talking about for five months but it doesn't really click until they see it concretely so that's pretty cool and then it kind of makes sense like oh that's why she pushes us so hard to be good writers that's why she cares about every word that's why she's always going on and on and on about 
how books can change your life because she's living it. So I think that matters a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. I think adults also think that way, that until they see your name on a book, you're not a writer yet, or I guess it's a byline. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, because they don't understand the abstract part of the whole process, and then the pain we go through, and all of it, until it becomes this thing that's accessible to other people, other than just us in our heads and on our laptop. Yeah, they never make lawyers show them a court case before they believe them that they're a lawyer. (laughs) Oh, right? Yeah, it's very unfair. Ah, the way of things. Going back to when you actually started writing that you wrote the picture book, what happened after you wrote that picture book? What happened at that point? I wrote a bunch of picture books. None of them were ever published, but I did win an award for the first one that I was telling you about. It was called Don't Lick the Baby, and it was a sibling rivalry story told from my dog's point of view when I had my son. I think the fact that it, it actually at least got some interest gave me a little bit of hope. And then I proceeded to write a couple more, and I just kept getting the comment, your voice is so much or middle grade, you should turn this into a novel, you should turn this into a novel. So I finally listened, and I think I wrote my first novel, gosh, probably 20 years ago. So I think I just finished a young adult novel. That's probably my eighth, and I'm just starting another one now. So I'm probably getting close to 10 novels. But I think it was definitely my voice. As you can tell by how much I talk, I'm a little long-winded. So I really (laughs) love description, and I love dialogue, and I just love so much beauty that words bring and as an artist they are telling their own story in picture books so you have to be so sparse not that I couldn't do it because I did a lot of picture book style freelance but I think my natural inclination is to write in prose and to tell a longer story I just think that's the way I write I write poetry too but just for myself but I kind of grew up writing poetry but I like to infuse poetic style of writing into novels kind of like commercial and literary mixed together it's kind of the way I write so I think it all just kind of came together and it's able to live better in novel format than anything else it's funny because you said having the journalism degree taught you how to get to the point but now you're mm-hmm. talking about how you like to kind of get lost in the words a little bit, which is yes. not what journalism is. It's probably why I didn't become a journalist. <laughs> and even now, I've had COVID now for 12 days. I think I've read five books in the last month and a half, and they're all great books. But I noticed that, I don't know, language is such a treasure to me, and the way you put sentences together and the way you phrase things and describe things, every paragraph for me should have some kind of jewel in it. And I've been reading so many books that are great stories, important stories, but I don't feel that like love of language. And I think that's something that makes my writing process a little more complicated, but I really I think I can get away from it. I can't just tell a story. It's kind of this mix of literary, poetic language with plot. That's just what I like to read. I want to be touched not only by the character and the struggle, but by the way they use language. And I'm not sure if that has just been something that's, as a reader, I've loved my whole life, or if it's kind of infused throughout what I've studied. I'm not exactly sure, or my love of poetry. I'm not sure where it comes from. That's kind of like what I love. But it also makes it tough, because I'm always worried about both. How can I streamline the plot, but also create this beautiful language kind of what we'd call lyrical kind of writing yes and i love lyrical art as well so i think that's just kind of how my brain sees things maybe that's the artist part of me too translating into the words not just a storyteller but the visual elements that's what i tell my students you're painting with words and that's kind of like what i feel when i write but it makes it hard to kill your darlings as well (laughs) because i'm like no no that whole page is my darling can't cut them 
I know a writer who's very adamant about not killing your darlings. He's like, if that's yeah. your best writing, keep it. Yeah, it's tough. The young adult novel that I just finished, it's the first YA I've ever written. Usually I write mid-grade. And this is after cutting it. It's 121,000 words. Wow. And I have never written anything that long in my life. Like, that's twice wow. as long as anything I've ever written. But it's dual point of view, dual timelines. Yeah. I was thinking about language as well. I'm working with the freelance editor now because I knew that thing was out of my control. And I was like, I got to get some professional help on this one. Yeah. Yeah. So now going back, when you say that you were told that your voice was like an older kind of voice as far as yes. writing voice, this you were mm-hmm. hearing this from agents, editors, or who was telling you this? I think it was probably everybody. I've been with SCBWI for over 20 years, so I went to every conference workshop that I could so when I would submit for critiques I think that was probably told to me and then I was in critique groups it was probably told to me then so I think it was across the board that that was just more of my writing style and I do write short stories too which I think you can get away with it more but I think the especially now picture books are so sparse even compared to when I first started I just don't think that my voice and my style lends itself to picture books but sometimes you have to start there because it's at least timely, you can get to the end quicker, you can get feedback quicker. Because to me, like writing a novel is like painting a mural. I've done a couple murals. And when you're in it, looking up close, you just cannot see the big picture. And that's the same with the novel. So even now, I don't have a regular critique group anymore, because I found that sending in a couple chapters and then rewriting was kind of derailing me, preventing me from finishing my book, like 10 years later. So now I just have writing friends that we switch and we each read each other's whole novels and I get feedback that way which is a little more helpful but writing a novel is just it is like a mural you get lost in it so I think starting short starting with picture books or poetry or short stories and then working your way up helped me a lot I know that Ray Bradbury says that you shouldn't even attempt a novel until you're like in your 30s and you've been writing for a while and everybody is on a different trajectory obviously but I think novels are just tough because they're just dense it's really tough for me at least to see the big picture even now after I finished my draft I was like oh my gosh there's a hundred things that I need to go back and pull through the threads I need to finalize in the end now because you just kind of get lost But yeah, I'm glad I started the way I did. And I can kind of do anything because I've done so much freelance work. I've said yes to everything pretty much. So I think that's helped me as well. I can write short if I have to. Is it as much fun for me? No, probably not. Just because I love, like I said, I love language so much. So give me more words, the better for me. Anybody that can mix those two successfully, I'm in awe of. Because it's tough. I remember one middle grade I wrote, it was about a girl superhero and someone read it. I think it must have been on a, at a critique. And they're like, this is like two different books. One is more like Percy Jackson, action-packed. And one is more lyrical and more beautiful. And I was like, ah, I tried so hard to mix those two. But it's tough. Like, how do you do that successfully? I'm, I'm not sure. Just other than continuing to try it again and again and again. Yeah. Just to clarify, SCBWI is the Society for Children's Books, Writers, and Illustrators which is actually where I know Lori from. They have individual chapters according to location. But was that something that other people told you to be part of? Or once you started looking into writing, you're like, oh, I better find someone that can help me. Where is a resource for this? I think I started off, I took a class from a little private university called The Learning Tree in Irvine. And I don't even think they exist anymore. But my teacher was this incredible woman named Marilyn Gould. She was a children's writer and an adult writer as well. She recently passed away. But she was probably my first and best writing teacher ever. I just 
adored her and I loved her writing. And she actually was the one who said, hey, there's an organization called the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. You need to join. So I think it was because of her that I joined. I honestly think that was like 25 years ago. I can't even remember the first conference I went to. And then I very quickly met just amazing people like Bev Plass, who's our regional advisor this year. And now I still have friends that I met in my first local event so they've really been a lifeline for me and I just learned so much from other writers and found that tribe that makes you feel like you're not alone because writing is so solitary it's just been a joy for me to be a part of this group and to meet such amazing people honestly out of all the teachers I've had I have learned more from other writers than anyone else that's like that direct access you have when you become a part of this organization it's been a gift for sure yeah so now going back to the middle grade, when you wrote the middle grade novel, what did you do next with that? My first the middle first grade never saw the light of day. It was probably my second or third that I started submitting and I got nice rejections, just not nice enough. Just, yeah, I kept writing. I took some time off from teaching when my daughter was born and my daughter's 18 now. So mm-hmm. I just did freelance work during that point. So I think I took up many years just trying to make a living as a freelancer, which is tough because there's no consistency in when you're going to get projects. But I think it just allowed me to keep writing and I worked with editors and I had to do revisions. It's like building a wall. If each brick is a different size or a different shape, like my wall was still being built. So it was like in a different form. I was still learning to become a better writer and learning the business a little bit more and putting myself out there and taking on projects that I knew nothing about. But I learned to say yes to everything. Like, write a book about motorcycles. Okay, yeah, I know nothing about motorcycles, but let's do it. I think all of it was a part of the process. And I'm on a long trajectory because I have a full life. I have a full-time job. I have two kids that still need me. I didn't have the good fortune of just being able to write all day long every day. And I think all of those parts of us, though, make us better storytellers and better writers. It took me almost 20 years to get an agent, and that's a long time. Yeah, well. You could call me crazy or you can call me driven. I'm not sure which one, maybe a little bit of both. But I think everything I've been through has made me a better storyteller, more empathetic, more open-minded, more imaginative, and more driven to try to make this dream happen. I try not to regret or mourn how difficult it's been over the years and how many no's I've gotten and how close I've gotten so many times because we're all on a different path. And the one constant is I know I want to keep telling stories, just like I did when I was in fourth grade. I stopped once for about a week. I sent out one of my novels to a freelance editor, and she wrote me a nine-page single-space letter with all her notes. And three-fourths of it was stuff I'd already been working on for years and I just wasn't able to do it and I was like maybe I'm not a novelist I told her that and she said call me right now so at my lunch break at school I had to call her and she proceeded to tell me off you are not stopping you are a great writer this is just revision this is just what you need to do for certain books take longer so I think I only stopped for about a week because I just want to keep telling stories so I guess that makes all the pain worth it yeah. Well, we should <laughs> Sorry, highlight. I hope I'm not being depressing. Well, we should highlight you had the good fortune to have a family and all that. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And they're super supportive. And I wrote a whole story inspired by my daughter. Her name's Nova. So I wrote a girl superhero called Supernova. And so, yeah, uh-huh. they've been a huge part of my writing journey. They're just always there to pick me up when I'm sad and to celebrate with me when I'm happy. Very, very lucky. 
Yeah, that's great. To the freelancing, where were you getting this work from? They said, oh, I just said yes to jobs, but I didn't know um, no, you were I looking. I think I started, this is when you were still like mailing out okay. things in the mail. So I think I just sent out cover letters to 10 different, either small presses, educational presses, and I just started getting work. I wrote a lot of stories for the LA Times. Way back when they had a kid's reading room page. And so they were like serial stories every week. It was a five-part story. And then they had, I think, a short story on Sundays. So I think I published about 10 at the LA Times. So that was awesome. I've done highlights. I finally hooked up with Capstone Press, which is a small educational press. And I think the first book I did for them, gosh, might have been Motorcycles. My husband is a BMX rider. So in my cover letter, I said, you know, I am not an extreme sports person, but my husband is. And so ironically, I got all the extreme sports stuff. I've even done like MMA fighting and indie car racing and (laughs) things that I am not. I was able to do a lot of stuff like that. And once you do a good job for an editor in the work for hire kind of market, they usually come back to you and ask you to do more. And those are all nonfiction which is not my, I like nonfiction, but you know, I love writing novels. So I just did as much as I could. And it was fun because I was doing a lot of school visits as well during this time when I was just freelancing. It was fun. It was a really good section of my writing life. Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah. First of all, it's a lot more than it, than a lot of other people have. And it's still writing and getting out yes. there. And all that. Yes. And yeah. I, yeah, and I'm proud of it. Sometimes I get down on myself, but I'm definitely proud of those experiences and all the books I've been able to write and to see that they're in school libraries. That's really exciting yes. that I can help somebody learn something or feel more excited about reading. That's a pleasure for sure. Right. Well, so that it took you the 20 years to get your agent. What did happen that you finally got the agent? Well, now I use Twitter, which I'm not even a huge Twitter person. (laughs) So my last middle grade that I wrote, it's called Falling Into Me, and it's based on my dad's childhood. My grandparents immigrated from a little town in Greece along the Peloponnese Peninsula in the 20s, and they ended up coming in on the East Coast and moving West. They had five kids along the way, and they lived in East L.A. in the housing project called Maravilla, which they're still there today. And when my dad was 15, his mom passed away of breast cancer, and a year later, his father went in for a hernia surgery and didn't come back out. So yeah, five Greek kids orphaned in the projects of East L.A. They were ages 9 to 19, so they stayed together, and no social worker, no social services. The oldest was 19, so they were on their own. So I grew up with all these stories, and they were just amazing people. It was about 15 years ago and I was like, I have to start writing these down. So I started interviewing my uncle. The youngest was nine and he remembered more than the older ones. So I interviewed all of them. One aunt had already passed away. So there were four left. And when they were together, they would start remembering things. And I was like, I have to write this story just as a way to honor my Greek heritage, my family, these grandparents that I never knew. That took me Oh, gosh, 10 years at least, because I wrote it as a screenplay first, and then I turned it into a middle-grade novel. And then I revised it about 100 times, and I did a, um, the, it's the DV Pitt pitch on Twitter, the own voices kind of thing. And Leslie Tuttle from Distel, Goddard, and Barrett. She liked, when they give you a like, you can submit. So her and a couple other agents gave me some likes. I I sent 50 pages to her. And then within a day, she said, send me the whole book. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, here you go. And then it took about a week. And then she rejected me. But during that time, I had already been messing around and revising a little bit more. And so when she rejected me, I emailed back and I said, can I ask what areas you think I should work on? So she told me and I said, oh, ironically, I've already been working on 
a couple of things already. Could I send it to you when I finish? She said, of course. Oh, wow. So I did, yeah, and I think it was maybe two days later I got the phone call. I was sitting outside, I'll never forget, under, we have these two big mulberry trees, and I was sitting out there, it was summer, and, you know, they tell you to ask questions, take a few days, and yeah. then call them back, and she just got me. She really got what I was trying to do in this book. She loved my writing. She was super supportive and was more about supporting my career than just this one book. So we talked for about an hour and a half. I'm having this conversation with myself the whole time. And I was like, I don't need to wait. I love this lady. You know? <laughs> so I said, yes, I accept representation. So that was three years ago. Wow, amazing. Yeah, so we haven't sold that novel yet, but I do feel good that that was the novel that caught her eye. I've revised it five times since then, but my dad's still alive. He's 87. My biggest hope is that I can sell it while he's still here and that would make him really proud. Yeah, that would be something. Wow. So that's like the book of my heart for sure. So that's the book that you got the agent, but that was still not the book that got you published yet. No. That story, I was working out on the treadmill. This is probably like six months after I got the agent. I listened to podcasts a lot, ironically. And I was listening to the big one. It's an NPR podcast about earthquakes. Growing up in California, I guess I'm just kind of obsessed and <laughs> wanting to know. I wanted to be a scientist too, but I always want to know how things work. How can I be safe? How can I understand things better? So episode eight was all about women in earthquake science. And these women just blew my mind. So accomplished, so brilliant, yet we're still facing such challenges as women in these male-dominated fields. And I thought that would be an amazing book for young adults. Earthquakes, preparedness, and then these stories about these women. And so I pitched it to my agent, and she's like, oh, I love that. She goes, write it as a proposal. So that took me about a year. It was tough. And I had had interviewed a couple people of the scientists before COVID, and then COVID hit. So I did two more interviews interviews on zoom one of the interviews wasn't quite exciting enough to put in the proposal so i did another one and then that was the one that we decided on and it took about maybe like six months and i kind of envisioned it as a one-off but we found a home with chicago review press as part of a series called women in power so it went along with books like women in aviation women innovators women film directors and so mine was women in earthquake science so it's called quake chasers 15 women rocking earthquake science so i signed the contract december of 2020 and this is when i was teaching remotely at home so i signed the contract and then i proceeded to schedule out 13 more scientists through zooms and you know as an interviewer this is a long process and they're very busy women and i was teaching full-time so it took me about four months to do all the interviews and then I had a month to write the book. So I, stay, wow. I would stay, I would teach all day. And then I would stay up till like two in the morning and I have a treadmill desk. So I'm walking on my treadmill. I got my two dogs next to me and I did it in a month. Yeah. And that was two springs ago. But yeah, that was a book. We did maybe two or three revisions and then it came out in April. Yay. Uh, yeah. That's the story of that book. And I'm just, you know, it's not a novel, but I'm so proud of telling these women's stories and they've become my friends now. You know, they're just, I feel very much like a sisterhood with them. They're funny and adventurous and brilliant and creative, and they're just really cool people. And they're like unsung heroes. They don't get enough publicity for what they do. So I feel very honored to be able to tell their stories. Just a little bit on the nonfiction. How did you even know where to find these people or where to look? Did they reference each other? I just started doing research and I ended up talking to my first scientist. Her name's Sue Huff and she works at the U.S. Geological Survey and right at Caltech. So she was the first person that I interviewed face-to-face and then she gave me a few names and I contacted them and then they gave me a few names and I even have an aunt and a niece that are both seismologists and a lot of them are friends and have a very 
unique support system in this field. We really tried to make sure the cast of characters was diverse as possible, ethnic, racial, age group, generational. We wanted to get a splattering of these different women. A lot of it was timing too. Are you available to do this? Because they're very busy. Scientists are always on the go in the field doing all sorts of stuff. So yeah, it just kind of worked out and I got 15 just wonderful human beings. And it's been fun because it's like having 16 authors promoting one book. It's been really fun. We've done a lot of virtual events, in-person events, and a lot of them have either come virtually or in person. So it's been really cool. I'm really proud of that book. When you knew you were going to write this book, your focus was going to be on the people who are involved in this sort of stuff or also the science that's involved in this sort of stuff. It was everything, but I think the main thread was how they overcame obstacles and representation with women in science is still so low and there are still so many different experiences that they are still having. Just how fierce you have to be to go for your dreams. And it's cool, as I started promoting this book, I started signing Be a Quake Chaser and it became more of a metaphor for be that person that's willing to chase down your dreams no matter how big the obstacle is in front of you. And I feel that's kind of a metaphor for my life as a writer as well. How hard are you willing to work to make that dream become a reality? And and sometimes obstacles are bigger for certain people, of course. But these women just kept reminding me that if the drive is strong enough and your heart is in it, it's more about this journey that we take as we face these obstacles. Because life is just rocky. Life is a roller coaster. And most of them are uphill climbs. We get these little valleys in between. And the more climbs you have, the sweeter the valleys are. They just inspired me. And I think that was the thread that I wanted to take through the book. And I wanted to inspire, because I have so many girls in science that I teach that are just badass scientists, even in high school. And I really wanted to give them something like, here, read about these women and you're going to do it. You're going to be able to do it. Because to me, that's our future. I see the future every day in my classrooms and I'm very inspired by who they are. So it was like a gift I could give my students and all the other readers and even adults. I've had so many adults talk to me already about this book and how they related to these struggles that these women faced and kind of formed their own sisterhood with them, which is really cool because that's what we need. We need to lift each other up and highlight our strengths within each other, I think, is how we get through the difficult stuff. Yeah. Did you have to do other research outside of these interviews with them? Yeah, that was probably the hardest part because I did want to be a scientist. That was my first thing. I wanted to be a biologist. And then I started taking physics and chemistry and I was like, oh no, (laughs) this is not going so well. All of these women write too, which is really cool. So I think if I would have had them as mentors, I might have went into science because they have these really cool niche, the way they've come into science. Some of them are social scientists and then have like masters and PhDs in other types of science, but they really would have been great mentors for me. But I think for me, I had to understand their science and, you know, they can only teach you so much in an interview. They're not there to teach you. They're there just to share what they do. So I would have to go back into research, do my own little master's classes to understand the science. And that was tough. And I was really worried about getting it wrong. So I gave each of them a chance to review their chapters. Most of them were really gracious. Some of them went into full professor mode and they were like, no, 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 this is the way it is. So I said, okay, 
I got it. I'll do it again. And ironically, my Kirkus review, the one thing that they actually liked were the sidebars. And that, that's where all the science was. So I'm like, yes, at least I got the science right. But it was tough because it was like 15 different specialties that I had to understand. That was probably what took me the longest, honestly, was trying to get the science right. And then with each chapter, they would always mention mentors. So I always highlighted one of their mentors. Then I had to understand their mentor science too. So now it almost became like 30 different scientists and then all the things they talked about that were not obvious like for a middle grade young adult reader I had to explain so yeah it was that part was tough and then you just get a sense for what the balance of that has got to be or is that your editor has to guide you on that like too much info here or you know, um, that yeah I mean I think we switched a few things around like why don't we put this in a sidebar instead of in the main narrative kind of thing I think I erred more on the side of let's put the more complex ideas in the side matter because I just wanted to tell their stories and I love childhood I love discussing how somebody became who they are so I think that was pretty natural for me and then just throwing a little bit of the science in and then directing the reader to these sidebars where they could get more information but you know you just have to make sure that it's understandable in the narrative enough to keep going and then if they need more information then it's there for them and I think honestly a lot of my freelance work probably helped me with that too yeah. Because that's what I did in those books, too. We had tons of side matter and back matter and graphics. So I kind of got probably even subconsciously got the balance of how much. But my editors were great. I like bow down to editors, especially when it comes down to line editing. Oh, my gosh. They were so good at looking at things I had never even thought of. Going back and then I'd have to go back to the scientists and ask them to clarify. I could never do that job. They were remarkable. Well, however much you could tell us about looking forward, are you kind of open to doing both either another novel or more nonfiction? Do you want to be focusing more? Like, I want to get that novel out, for finally get yeah, the novel out. I, I think right now I'm focusing on fiction. But, you know, I'm always open to things. Like I said, I never say no. I'm open to whatever kind of comes my way. And I think that's, like, probably the beauty of being older and having gone through it a little bit longer. I kind of can appreciate the positives in kind of everything I write. Because it all, it's all important. It's all a piece on that beautiful tapestry that we're living. And every time I've written anything, like I've always had such cool responses or experiences that go along with it. It's just like any art. When you create something and it touches even one person's life, that's a win. That's a win-win for both of us. I just think it's a beautiful thing to be able to create anything in this world. There's so much darkness and there's uh, a lot of things that are being torn down. So like the more we can create, the more beauty we put into the world, the more connections we make with each other through art, through writing, through words. That's what keeps me going, honestly. Writing saves me in so many ways and it has saved me. That's that magic piece that you can't really quantify and you can't really explain. Just to ask quickly before we'll do a wrap-up, when you submitted the proposal, your agent's looking around to where to put it. Was this this idea of doing this kind of series that your book's officially part of, was that kind of already out there and they saw this proposal? Yeah. I'm like, hey, this fits in perfectly yes. with this. Ah, yeah, okay. I think my book was the second in the series. Second or third, I forget. I think it was the second in the series. Yeah, so they had already established a series. They had already had one or two books in the works. And then this one just kind of fit in. And it's kind of different. I don't know if anyone else had even thought of that. But it just seemed to work out perfectly. And, you know, yeah. it's a small press, so it's a small advance. But it's royalty-based. It's my first royalty-based book. All my other stuff was freelance. So it was kind of just 
just seemed like the right thing to do. And the more I got into it, the more I saw it was the right choice. The Chicago Review Press has been amazing. The women were amazing. The response was amazing. This is unique little quake chasers. What? Women in earthquake science? But it, it just seemed to resonate on a more general level, which makes me really happy. You don't have to be even into science to appreciate these women and their struggle. And that's what I wanted for this book. And then to be a part of this bigger series, the women in all of these books are just incredible. And they deserve to be on the podium. And they deserve attention and applause and to be honored for what they do. So yeah, it's been really cool. Cool. That's great. It's like you finally get your first book out, but now you're like, she's a nonfiction writer. And you're like, no, 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 I still do fiction. Yeah, and I would have never expected that this would, but you can't predict the way things are going to go. Just when you think you know, that's when the carpet gets pulled out. And you're like, okay, I don't have any control. I'm just going to keep doing what I do and telling what? stories and getting better as a writer, making connections, like all the things you need to do as an artist. And hopefully things fall into place. Okay, so one more question for the yes. wrap-up. Was it hard writing nonfiction and your style of wanting to write more lyrically? Was that mm-hmm. hard for you personally or it ended up being that wasn't the hard part? I think it was okay because I knew what my audience was. I knew what my purpose was. I wasn't there to create poetic images. I was there to tell these women's stories in an interesting way and to integrate their science and their experiences and to inspire people. And so I think that became the poetic part was like the inspiration. So I think that was fine because it was just a different medium than fiction. It wasn't coming from the deepest parts of my imagination It was coming from my notes and from what they told me, you know. So I just wanted to make sure I highlighted them in a super positive way and made it obvious how cool they were and how inspirational they were. So, yeah, and I think that it worked out fine. And because of everything I've written, I can kind of, like, put on a different hat for the different genres that I write in. Yeah, they know. Because I had to do so many different kinds of stuff for different age groups, different genres, different lengths. And that's one thing as a teacher and like as a mom and a busy person, I can do that super fast. I literally like I'll sneak out at lunchtime and go to Starbucks and I can just write for 15 minutes and then go back to class. Like I don't have to get into this big creative mode. I just hop into it super fast because I sometimes I only have 15 minutes. So yeah. I think I can do that when I write for different genres, too. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, just because I have to, just the way it is. Yeah, and not to preclude, of course, nonfiction writing could still be lyrical, but just to... Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that wasn't the style of these books, though. Right. I love lyrical nonfiction. I love that. But this was just different because it's like a collection of biographies. So I think it was more about telling their story in like an active, inspirational way. Yeah. And I was still able to put my voice on it and my spin on it. You could definitely tell it's me, just a little bit different. It's almost like a collection of short stories, but nonfiction biographies. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. And then they're all just kind of tied together by this theme of chasing your dreams. I think that's what we did. Very good. So we always wrap up with fill in the blank of I really like it when. Using any of the nouns, not all, you know, just choosing one. I really like it when writers, editors, publishers, agents, bookstores, covers, anything store related. Really like it yeah. when and I really don't like when. So how okay. do you fill in the blank for that? I really like it when writers surprise me. When I'm reading or even watching a movie and I have to yell like, oh my gosh, like, (laughs) I can't believe you just did that. I love that. And it doesn't happen that often for me. And I want to do that as a writer. I don't know if I succeed. 
But I really love being surprised. Having to put the book down and like lift my jaw back up (laughs) just because like I didn't expect that. And I think the reverse would be I don't like it when things are predictable. I've only been watching a movie for 10 minutes and I've already figured out the plot or I figured out the bad guy or like I know exactly where it's going. I don't like that. And I think that's like my personality. I don't want to know what's coming ahead. If I could go back in time or go ahead in the future, I would always go back in time. I don't ever want to go in the future. I don't want to know. And, you know, I was the kid. I knew where my Christmas presents were hidden, and I never wanted to open them because it would have ruined the surprise. So I think it's the same for books and for movies. Like, I want to just be floored by someone's thinking and imagination. So not specifically a plot twist, just anything that you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Anything, even like a cliche that like one of the writers that I learned from early on, John Ritter, not the actor, but the middle grade writer. And he taught us to take a cliche and twist it. So like on your first drafts, put all your cliches you want, but then on your subsequent drafts, go back and twist them. So even it could be a cliche that's twisted or the way someone, you know, I have trouble with physical reactions when I'm writing. I always tend to use the same ones. So even when somebody like uses a really unique way to show like being nervous or being scared, even that, it can be a whole scale of things. Plot twist could be in there too, but I love just being surprised, whether it's through the wording, the phrasing, plot point, a character reveal, any of that just makes me feel new. And like, I can feel those little synapses in my brain connecting (laughs) like, oh, this book just made me smarter or made me feel something different. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, good. Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. It was fun to speak with you. Yes, thank you, Esther. That was amazing. This was a bonus episode of Oh My Work podcast featuring author Lori Polydorus. To find out more about Lori and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Work podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, please follow us on Instagram at Oh My Work podcast or check us out at el10about.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. Catch you next time.